The church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus 31, Exodus 31 uh, this morning. Uh, grateful that you're here with us to worship with us. If you're new with us, we want to say welcome. We are thrilled that you are here. As Jelana said, we've got those little QR codes on the back of every chair. We would love to connect with you. We would love to tell you more about who we are as a church and how you can connect into the family here at Risen Church North. Also, if you don't have a Bible and you're here, we have Bibles on the back of the table. We want you to take that. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, uh, that one is for you. We want you to take that home, mark it up, uh, and treasure it uh, because it's God's word given to us as his people. So that's a, a gift uh, for you back there. Well, church, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus uh, for many, many months now. And so we are continuing in that. And as God would have it in his providence, little did we know that where we land in this story, where we land in the story of Exodus, uh, is perfectly lines up for where God has us as a people. See, Exodus, uh, the story of Exodus, the story of God moving and God uh, working in the lives of his people is really a congregation-forming story. It's a story of God delivering his people, calling his people, informing them as his people, giving, him, giving them his word, giving them his presence, and giving them a place where they could worship. And church, that's us. That's our story. So the Israelites were a people, they were on the move. God was taking them somewhere. God had promised them certain things and he was making good on his promises all the way through. And we too, church, are a people on the move. There it is, it's our new graphic. That's, that's fancy, right? That's nice. So we're a people on the move as well. And so we're doing what we're calling a series within the series. We're still in Exodus, but we're going to be looking over the next six weeks at a people on the move and where God is taking his people and where God is taking us as a church. Um, so for the next six weeks, as we continue exactly where we were going to be in the book of Exodus as he providentially established uh, we're doing this little series within a series that we're calling a people on the move. Why? Why are we doing this? Uh, why are we kind of carving this out? Why are we making a new graphic? Well, um, we are doing this because the Lord and his provision, the Lord and his providence, the Lord and his timing has for us an opportunity that's before us that we wanna spend some time in the scriptures praying about and making sure that we do our very best to see where it is he's calling us and how we can walk and step with what he's doing in the life of our church. And this opportunity for, for us that, that is before us is a new season for us in the life of our church. Just like as God is moving his people along this journey in the wilderness and is preparing for them a place where he can dwell a new season in the life of God's people, the Israelites, we believe God is doing something similar in our midst as we are also a people on the move. So we have an opportunity before us, church, to purchase a place where we can gather in worship. Um, it's happened relatively quickly back in June. We're gonna hear at the end of service, stay tuned. I'm not gonna give a lot of details about where the place is, what the place looks like. Uh, we're gonna hear more about that at the end of the service and you're gonna have opportunity to see more about that and learn more about that. But I wanna focus uh, today and we're gonna focus the next six weeks on why. Why we're considering a new place. 
why we're considering uh, taking this next step and why we believe the Lord's calling us to this new place that God is going to use as a hub for his people to gather where his presence can continue to dwell with us so that we can live out all that God has called us to as a church. So we're a people on the move. And God, we believe, is providing for us this next place, this next step in the life stage of us as a church. And this building, this place is going to be used as a hub to do three things. To build up the body of Christ in sound doctrine and stir us up to love and good works. This place that, we're, that we believe the Lord's calling us to is a place where we're going to be able to live out Christ-centered community and see a 21st century expression of the first century church happening right in our midst that we're thrilled about. And finally, this place that we believe that God is leading us to, that we are walking in, is a place where we're going to be able to not just gather and not just sit and not just uh, get comfortable, but to be a place where we can be sent out into the communities with the life-changing good news of the gospel of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, so that more men, women, and children can hear of this glorious good news that is so dear to, to us. And so we're excited about this new opportunity in front of us. And over the next six weeks, as we are just continuing to, I mean, this is amazing. We had no idea, like when we planned this series a year ago, that we would be walking through the story of Exodus as God is establishing for himself a tabernacle where he would dwell with his people, that they would build it and that he would call and equip all the right people and all the furniture and all the things would be present just right so God could dwell with them. We had no idea that we would have this opportunity in front of us when we planned these all these sermons out that we didn't even have to change the timing of them all. So we were blown away with that just, just as a side note in our sermon preparation and planning. And so we're just thrilled that we didn't have to like rework something and make it work because it's right here in the scriptures for us. We're just continuing along as God is forming his people, the Israelites, as they are a people on the move. God would have it in such a way that he, as he is moving us that this has come right in our path and we believe that the Lord wants to teach us and wants us to walk in obedience with all that he has in front of us as he has been forming us and shaping us and maturing us for such a time as this. And if you've noticed over the last few months, um, there's more people that are gathering with us, praise God. The chairs are getting closer together. The rows are getting closer to the stage. The rows are getting closer to the back. And it's all wonderful and in God's perfect timing, we believe that he is, has us in this new season and he's providing the right path and the right way and the right place for us to step into. And so we're thrilled about these next six weeks where we're going to learn why God has us on the move and where he's taken us um, and how we can be obedient to him and his word as we step forward in faith in this new opportunity that we have before us. So the story of Exodus is in many ways our story. It's my story. And we've looked at that all along the way. And the next six weeks is going to be an anchor for us as we walk into this new season in the life of our church. So where have we been? What have we seen? Maybe if you haven't been with us in months, let me catch you up real briefly. Moses rescued as an infant on the river. 
He has this long formation, these, this years of formation as a pastor, learning what it means to be a pastor while he's tending sheep in Midian. He didn't even know that's what God was forming him for. He didn't even know God was establishing and building in him as a leader during those years. But God was using every season in his life for a reason for what he would call him to in the future. He hears a clear voice from God in a burning bush. We see the 10 plagues. We see God deliver his people from slavery and bondage through the the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of his people. We see thunder and lightning from Sinai. We we see God and his grace and his mercy and his power give his people these 10 words, these 10 ways to live their lives that they can be a people of God under his care and his rule and his way. And this is how they are to interact with each other. This is how they are to love him. And this is how they are to love one another. He gives them the 10 words to live by or the 10 commandments. We see Moses leading his people out of Egypt into a free life of salvation, no longer under bondage to slavery. And we see God forming this people ultimately as a congregation for him for his glory, for his purposes, for his namesake, that it wouldn't just stop with just them, but the story of who this God is, how powerful this God is, how this God conquers all these other false gods that have come in his way will spill over into the neighboring nations and ultimately touch the entire world. All people, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So God is forming these people And then where we've been the last few weeks, where really almost a third of the entire book of Exodus is spent, is Moses is up on the mountain. There is a cloud of fire, but Moses is not enveloped in it. And the voice of God is speaking for what purpose? For the building of the place in which he will dwell giving detailed instructions that says, I am a God who longs to dwell among his people. And this is exactly what it will look like. This is exactly how it will be constructed. This is exactly the fabric that will be used, the detail of everything, because we have a God who is not far off and distant. We have a God who says, I'm coming down to be with my people. And they are going to be led and guided by my presence, a God that is near. So Moses, over the last many, many weeks that we've been walking through Exodus, has been given instructions for the building of the sanctuary for the people of God to worship him. And these people will be grounded in their worship of him, the one true God. So we've learned so much through walking through this story, and we're going to pick up right where we left off, starting in Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11 will be our text here this morning. The Lord is continuing to speak to Moses, but here we are going to see a shift. Here we're going to see a change. This is not just what the tabernacle will look like. This is not just Uh, what materials will be used to construct it. This is not just the colors of the fabrics that are all meaningful and beautiful. It is not the altar so that uh, sinful people can be brought into the presence of a holy God. It's who is going to be called to do it. 
Not just what, but who. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him, Aholiab, the son of Ahimelech, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on, and all its furnishings of the tent, and the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So Moses has received instructions from the Lord on how to build the tabernacle, all the details that would be needed, what, this, what would happen in this place, what would take place there, how it would function how the people would connect with God, how they would worship God, what it would look like, what everything would represent, why it needed to be there, where it was to be placed, what it was to be formed out of. And it was the, the exact layout and great and in stunning detail that we've looked at for many, many weeks. The entire structure and even we saw the atonement and the altar that needed to be placed there so that a sinful people could approach this holy God that longed to dwell with them. So right even in the very formation of the tabernacle, what we've seen is this God longed to dwell with his people so much that he provides a way that they can draw near to him. He provided a way of atonement so they could draw near to him and even in his holiness when they couldn't because of sin, he said, I will make a way and it's gonna happen in this place. And something right out of the gate to consider as we just looked at who would be responsible for building this and constructing this amazing place is these craftsmen, these tradesmen, these folks that work with their hands, that understand how to work with wood, how to carve stone, how to construct these things that were given in such fine detail. Something that uh, struck me and Michael as we were talking about it this week is where did these craftsmen learn these skills? In slavery, 400 years they had hard labor. They worked. They were brought up. They learned a lot of these skills. They, God was forming and shaping and using even the years of bondage, even the years that was with hard labor and service where they're saying, where is God? What am I doing? How is this ever to be considered good? God was using even those times to say, I'm using all of those skills I'm using all of those things that you learned when you thought 
you were just a slave in Egypt. And now you are a people moving to a place, and I'm going to use all of those skills for your good and for my glory to touch the world. Isn't that amazing? So application for us, just right out of the gates. All of you here, believer in Christ, Christian, you may be in a season where you're wondering, what on earth is God doing? I'm working this job, I'm doing this thing, I'm at home, I'm, what are these, these skills that, that sometimes I feel like they don't, how are they going to translate into all that God wants for me, into the, the kingdom, into um, how I can please him? Because I feel like they're so far away from some of the things that I encounter in here. It is in those seasons that God is forming you. He's shaping you. He's taking those skills. He's taking those things you're learning. He's growing in you a sense of dependence on him and an understanding of practically what you're doing so that there is gonna come a day when that thing that you felt like was a dark season and a hard time, he's gonna use that very thing and experience for his glory and for your good. Do not lose heart, church. Do not lose heart. He is going to leverage those skills and those gifts in a way that will surprise you. And it's gonna be so much better than you ever, ever thought. So those skills and those things you're doing in your job right now, a lot of us are like, well, I can't make a difference for God. I'm not a missionary or I'm not a pastor or I don't do this, that, and the other. I don't feel like I do big things for God. God wants to use all the things in your life, not just for you, but to leverage it for his glory and for his kingdom. Even trade skills, craftsmen, like all of these things we learn about God called these workers by name that they would use their skills for his purposes. <laughs> so it's with these words that we just read that we come to the final instructions spoken by God to Moses on the mountain regarding the tabernacle and regarding worship. And remember, this is crazy. Moses is right where we left him all the way back in Exodus 24. Like he's still up there on the mountain. That was like, I don't know, like 16 weeks ago or something. It works. We're still in the same spot. He's still there. God is still speaking to him. So he's up on the mountain alone with God and everyone else is down at the bottom waiting for him to get back. We'll get to them later. There's some bad things happening, right? We'll address that in the coming weeks. All part of God's plan. Um, and among all the things that God said, we have the laws. We have Exodus 20 through 23. We have the commandments from the tabernacle. We've got 25 through 31. And we find, this is amazing, this goes to my point I just made, that God is not just satisfied with saying how the tabernacle ought to be built. He doesn't want to stop with just, I want this thing built like this. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just leave it to be figured out all the rest of when and who. He is concerned that the right people are chosen for the right task, for the appropriate work to be done. God is in control of the entire operation. All of it, every detail. 
He is at its source. He's the architect, he's the designer, he's the chief architect, right? He is the one who's gonna choose now the construction managers and the craftsmen and the field techs and all the people that are gonna bring about the implementation of this building of the tabernacle. Why? Why is he so concerned? Because that's a place he's gonna dwell. And I'm gonna choose the right people that know just how to perform the right task. And I am gonna empower them and I have equipped them for this task. In their lives, they may not have even realized it years ago, but for such a time as this, their hands are gonna be put to work for my glory. And there are a few things I want us to glean from these passages. I could spend a lot of time. I'm just going to say a few. We might have to infer some as we go along, but I want to say them out loud because um, it's worth to go back and maybe read some of these in light of some of these points that uh, I would like to make, but I'm probably going to run out of time to make them because I've already gone too long. First, we see that God not only commanded the building of the tabernacle, but he called and equipped the builders of the tabernacle from their previous work experience. Secondly, we learn something about vocation, that it is God's calling of us into service. Even with what you're doing right now, his vocation uh, your calling into your vocational work with what you do with your hands, God can use it. God can leverage that for his purposes. Third, we learn something about God's calling or election, that God chooses and sets his heart to use this person, this name. I will send my spirit on this person for this task. Why? Because God decided. God set his heart on someone. Fourth, we learn something about equipping for service because we're told that God has equipped these with a skill for this particular purpose so that his house could be constructed. And lastly, we learn something of the very presence of God, his involvement. So we're gonna look at the first 11 verses. Uh, my first point that I wanna make that I think is profound in this one is um, the link between the creation of the tabernacle and the creation account in Genesis. Because we learn something of the presence of God. We learn something of uh, God longing to dwell with his people. So there are all of these verbal and thematic ties between Moses' account of creation in Genesis chapter one and two. I don't have time to read it all. I wanna encourage you to go back and read the, the tabernacle, the creation of the tabernacle in 25 through 31 of Exodus and read Genesis chapters one and two. And we're gonna see the tabernacle instructions and the creation accounts have these incredible correlations and these incredible connections. One that I want us to note here this morning is the role of the spirit in creation and the tabernacle and the spirit in creation uh, in Genesis, in creating the earth. Genesis chapter one, verse two. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over 
the face of the waters. Before, catch this, before God began his creative activity in creating all the things in this world by his word, before that creative activity where he would create and make and form and breathe the breath of life into all these things would happen, we see the spirit at work. We see the spirit of God at work and there's a linkage between that work that we just read about in Genesis chapter one and in Exodus 31, we see it again. Exodus 31, three. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So not only is the spirit present at creation, but the spirit is called here the force behind the completion of the tabernacle project, the house of God. So before the creative uh, construction and building and forming of his house where he would dwell would start, the spirit of God goes forth. Before the creation of all the things he would make in the earth goes forth, his spirit is dwelling. It seems that his spirit precedes the creative work that he wants to do in creation and even here in creating the place where he will dwell, his tabernacle using the hands of men. And so God brings the world into being through his spirit. He also brings the tabernacle into being through his spirit. Isn't that awesome? And we see the tabernacle here as something, if you go back and, and read these, I would encourage you to do it as a almost mini representation of the universe that God made. What do I mean? God orders all of its design. We've just spent weeks looking at every single detail. God orders all of the components and God brings it into being through his own instrumentality, just like he did, does in the grand cosmos, in the entire universe, in the structures in which he creates. And that's recorded in detail for us in Genesis 1 and 2. And the theme of the spirit creating the tabernacle is in the same vein as God creating through Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, if you skip ahead, we see more glimpses of this, more windows of this. Exodus 40, 34, God himself does what? He covers the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory of God comes down and covers the tabernacle so much so that Moses cannot even enter in. Uh, God's not done with the theme of the spirit and creation and the unfolding dwelling with his people. The spirit's work always precedes God dwelling with his people and the creative force behind that coming to pass. What do I mean? Luke one thirty-five. God incarnate in flesh coming to dwell with his creation in his only begotten son, Jesus, our risen Lord. Luke 1.35, the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Spirit precedes the work, the creative work of God intervening and dwelling with his people 
in even the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and not only do you have passages like that where we see those correlations of God's movement with him longing to dwell with his people through creation, through the tabernacle, his house, through Jesus in the flesh coming to be with us, we see it again in Acts 2, 1 through 4, when God is building his new covenant people. How does he do that? The spirit is poured out. And we're told in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The Holy Spirit falls down on a people. Paul picks up this theme again in Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. He says, you now, church, you new covenant people who the Spirit birthed this new work, the church, the place, the dwelling place where God will be through the risen Lord Jesus. Now Paul picks up on this and says, what's happening? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing this with us all? You are being built together. Again, we're being built up. God is moving and working and building. You are being built together, people of God, into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. In the spirit. We're being built up as God's people in the spirit. And in Revelation 21, 22, at the very end, when John is describing for us what heaven is like, we're bookending here, if you didn't notice that. We went to Genesis 1, we're going to the very end, Revelation 21, okay? This is hard work, okay? Very end, he looks around. I looked around and there was no temple there. Huh, Why? And there's no temple there because God and the lamb are present with his people. They are the temple, his very presence with his people. Um, the spirit's work is uniting us to God. And the lamb of God is making us into this tabernacle the temple of the Lord. So we see that connection so vividly between the Spirit's work in creation and all through the scriptures, whether it be through the tabernacle that he's building like we're reading about here in Exodus or the work of the church as he's gathering and building us up or to the very, very end of the story. He is at work. But there's another really cool example or another um, creation link between Genesis 1 and 2, and Exodus 25 through 31. Uh, I won't get into all of it, but it's worth your time to look into um, and study because it's the way God has knit this together is beautiful and it brings the picture of what he's doing into full color for us. Have you ever noticed in Exodus 25 through 31, we didn't necessarily split them out exactly like this, but there are seven divine speeches in Exodus 25 through 31. And those seven divine speeches of the creation of the tabernacle and what they represent correlate with the seven days of creation. And both accounts end in the same place, uh, the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the seventh day, and here at the end of 31, we're going to get to it more next week. I'm just going to touch on it here, ends with the Sabbath. 
Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is about the Sabbath, the end of the creation accounts. And again, we see this connection between the spirits of God and creation and the tabernacle between creation uh, and all that he's working and the place that he will dwell. Um, And if you would cheat and go over to Exodus 40, verses 2 and 17, you would find out that the tabernacle when it's built, is dedicated on New Year's Day, which itself liturgically is a celebration of the beginning of God's creation, the first day of creation. Um, So Exodus 31, as it ends with the Sabbath, which I I know we're going to get to next week, ends in a note of harmony and rest and preparedness of all that God has said of all that God has prepared, of all that God has his people to walk into this next season where they will to build all that he's commanded and he's called the people that will do it and he's pro- provided everything that they need to see this come to fruition. So we see a people, we see a place, we see them being prepared and we see them resting in his presence. Um, the tabernacle It's like this mini universe created by God to remind his people that they are connected to something larger, that he is in charge of, that he is unfolding, that he is working in, that God is their creator and we are connected to that creator in this very tangible way that he is the maker, that he is the sustainer, that he calls, that he equips, that he longs to be with his people. And it's in that same way, church, as we are looking and we are a people on the move and we're looking at this new opportunity in front of us as the church, that we need to be reminded that we're part of something larger, that God is working, that God is moving, that God is building, that he is going and we're to follow where he calls and we're to be faithful to his word and we're part of this larger, grander story and ultimately we are to rest in his presence knowing that he has all the pieces figured out. He has called all the right people and he is in total control. And he is working. Um, Verses two and three have some great language. I have called by name and I have filled him Bezalel with the spirit of God. So I've called him by name indicates this distinct act of God's divine will. God decides. So God himself is making a choice of this particular purpose for his craftsman, Bezalel. And we're told in verse three, I have filled him with the spirit of God, which indicates God is the source of the wisdom. God is the the source of pouring out this skill on this person necessary uh, to fulfill all that he's called him to. And there's even everything in the Old Testament, even names in the Old Testament have great meaning. So these names right here have some great meanings. Bezalel, Uri, Aholiab have great meanings. Uh, Bezalel means in the shadow of God. Isn't that beautiful? 
His name literally, I'm, I'm calling this guy out. His name means in the shadow of God or under the protection of God. And isn't that fitting that he would be the one that constructs and crafts this tabernacle that would be the shadow and protection of God. Remember all the coverings and all the curtains that were so intricately detailed for his people. And it would be this place uh, in the middle of a desert that is so hot and it's just the sun is always beating down and he's constructing it in such a way where it would be shaded and it would be cool and the people could enter in in the presence of God and the shadow of God would be their protection. He would be there for him. Uh, Uri is maybe short for Uriah or Urel, which means God is my light. Another creation nod. When God made light, he made the lampstand and now another one that would be creating his name means God is my light. He is always shining. The lamp never goes out. Aholiab means the tent of the Father, or the Father is my protection. So even those who God called, their names are woven into the very purpose of what they fulfill and complete in his plan. And church, I believe the same is for us. God knows you. God has called you for a purpose. Your life isn't just meant to occupy a seat in a church. It's meant to be part of what God is doing and that everything that God does is on purpose so that we could fulfill all that he has called us to be and do for his glory, that we would live out those purposes among the people of God for our good and for his glory. Verses 7 through 11, we then are given a summary of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. We've been through all of those in detail. We have the Ark of the Covenant. We have the, that will be the house where the two tablets will be that will symbolize the covenant between God and Israel. It's described there. In the New Testament, if you fast forward into Hebrews chapters 8 and 9, it makes it clear that the old covenant tabernacle, yes, is made with hands, but Christ does not enter a tabernacle made with human hands, but a heavenly one, a new tabernacle. And John and Paul both emphasize that we now as God's people, we together collectively as the church, the new covenant people, are this tabernacle, we are this temple, we're this living temple, this living, breathing representation where God's spirit falls and dwells and now the very presence of God here on earth can be felt through his church. A holy temple being built up and then spilling over into all of these places so that people can get a taste and see that the Lord is good through his people and the spirit's work in his people. We're being built up as the temple. Matthew Henry, the old commentary, I'm sure it's, it's always the free one on our Bible app, right? It's the real old one. We all have that one. He says this that I love. When Christ sent his apostles to rear the gospel tabernacle, he poured out his spirit upon them, enabled them to speak with tongues, the wonderful works of God, not to work upon metal, but to work upon men. So much more excellent were the gifts as the tabernacle to be pitched was a greater tabernacle. God's doing a greater work through us. And so here at Exodus 31, we see an emphasis 
that God's tabernacle, just like his creation, is his own work. He brings it to being. He is the source. He is the designer. He is the architect, and he calls all the craftsmen to work. He is the source of the completion of it. And the same is true of you and I, now in Christ. He is the source and he is the completion of the work that he has for us now, his living temple, the church. He is in charge. He is in control. He calls. He directs. He guides. He knows the people. He knows who's going to be responsible. He knows the crafts. He knows the responsibilities that it's going to take. And he calls us all together, being built up as God's people into this new temple to reflect and display his great character and his great nature. He does that with his new covenant people. He chooses, he equips, he draws near those who are becoming his living temple in Christ. So that means this for us, church. That each of us here, if you call this place home, are called by God to play a part. God has given you skills, God has given you resources, God has given you relationships, God has given you understanding, God has given you wisdom by his spirit on purpose for such a time as this. Your vocation even matters. The life you've led all before this matters and all the things that you've walked through and all the experience that you've come to bear all matters. His call on your life right now matters. Why? Because it's not just for you and your experience, but for the building up of the body, for the glory of God. So church, we are a people and we're a church on the move. And so here's the question. If this is your home, sorry if this is not your home and you're just checking us out, we're so glad you're here. And maybe consider these things too because this is where we're headed and this is what we're doing. But if, if your family here, how is God calling you by his spirit to leverage your life, your skills, your gifts, your vocation, your resources that he's given you for his glory, for his people, that we could be built up into the temple of God as his church in this next season in the life of us as a church, risen church. This next step in the life of our church that we believe as elders and leaders in our team is a big one, yes. It's a big next step. But as I've been dwelling on the scriptures, I believe that God has all the pieces in place. He's in charge. He knows every detail. And we just have to step into what he's called us and be willing to leverage our lives for his purposes, for his namesake. So I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. And as a response uh, to the text today of God calling those that would be responsible for the construction of the place that he would dwell. I want us as his people to begin to consider how is God calling me to leverage my life, my gifts, my resources, my vocation, my story for the good of his church, for the building up of the body of Christ so that we collectively as a church can walk forward in what we believe God is calling us to walk in in faith that he will provide all that he needs for this to come to pass. So church, will you bow your head, close your eyes, and will you just take some time and just pray that he would make it clear?
Lord, how, what are you calling me to? How can I leverage my life for your kingdom? Maybe you don't go to this church. Maybe this is your first time here at Risen Church. Maybe you would pray, God, would you have this to be a place for me to call home and family? And pray that this, by the spirit of God, he would make that clear. If you're family here, pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how are you calling me to leverage my life in this season as God is moving us as a church to leverage all that you've given me, my experience, my gifts, my resources for the glory of you and the building up of your church in this season in the life of our church. And ask that he make that clear to you.